Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor of Resident Advisor. Our guest this week is Bernd Friedman. Talking about music with Friedman is usually a striking experience. He's the kind of guy who thinks artists should strive to be like scientists making new discoveries that are universally true. For Friedman, gravity and physics are things to be understood and respected by musicians and are of much greater importance than plain old self-expression and creative freedom. As such, he's become a master of rhythm and groove, especially so in his collaborations with Can drummer Yucky Liebertzeit. In this conversation with Angus Finlayson, recorded in RA's Berlin office, Friedman offers his distinctive take on what makes art valuable and his quest to harness the power of the universal rhythm. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Bernd Friedman is up next. your track titles are in French. Why is that? What's your relationship with French? Only a few track titles were in French, in fact. Latency is a French label okay. coming out of Paris. I thought it would be a nice gesture to put the track titles in French too, because eventually I choose to have track titles in general, but I draw the decision when everything's finished. And I'm looking for the titles that make most sense to me. And this can take sometimes a few days to find a, find a meaning that could be going with the piece of music. And it, it's, it's determining the music a little bit as well. So it's not an easy process. But with, with French, I firstly avoid the notorious English language and secondly, it's better sometimes than those numbers because with Yaki Liebezeit, we decided to have numbers simply because to avoid the question how to put it with two personalities is more complicated than with one persona. And the numbers are always a given. By the time we start working on a piece, it has a certain BPM number and a definite rhythm. So 
if it's 122 slash 12, we know what it means and we can remember the track. So this is the most appropriate working title for, for still for me, I used to have those numbers. So I'm, I'm a little reluctant to using English track titles. Sometimes I have German ones or French ones and I'd rather not mix the languages up on one record. This is why it may have appeared to you as if I was using French all the time, but yeah. I don't. The, you mentioned there the, the Secret Rhythms series is the, the tracks that you were talking about with Yaki Liebertzeit, with the, the BPM and the number of beats in the bar as the track titles. Could you talk a little bit more about that project? Because I had kind of interpreted that titling as being to do with, you know, the music almost felt like a toolbox of rhythms and feels that perhaps someone else could go through and and take one of these grooves or is that the way you saw it as a kind of toolbox of, uh, of rhythmic ideas? It is a kind of toolbox if you like and it's always a disappointing situation when you finish a track by mixing it down or putting it on a record because the reality is those grooves if you like those rhythms develop over time so sometimes a 120 slash 5 number would appear several times on various records over time in different versions it's a kind of versioneering and therefore tool is the right term to put it it represents the malleability of those tracks since we have rules to the game those numbers are more or less the rules. It, it's an indication of what kind of rhythm and how we play it. So this is the fixed parameter, but how we do it, how we arrange it and so forth, what kind of sounds we use can always change live and on the record. So finishing a track is actually not the nat nature of those rhythms. Could you talk about how you first started to work with Yaki Liebertzeit? I've moved to Cologne in the 90s and by the turn of the century in 2000 I came back from my annual touring to New Zealand and Australia and uh, was asked to play a concert in Cologne but I didn't want to do it like the many concerts I've played beforehand standing behind the mixing board on my own mixing tracks from five mini disc players at once so I decided to get in touch with Jaki Liebezeit a friend of mine, Markus Schmickler, whom I have had worked with during the 90s, he passed me his telephone number, so I just gave him a call and he came over immediately and we started discussing the music for this gig I got offered in Cologne. We had two months' time to prepare for it. So I think in the same week we got together in his rehearsal room which is where we ended up for the next 17 years and started puzzling out this new duo project, if you like. But at that time, my rough tracks weren't prepared so well. They weren't destined to to become sequences for somebody else to play drums to. I wasn't sure about it. So Yaki confronted his philosophy of natural rhythm, which was new to me by that time. And I realized I had to compose and record new material for this concert. 
So actually we started from scratch from that point on. And could you explain what this um, theory of natural rhythm is? We are used to talk about animal nature and the human nature, but rhythms have a nature too. They have certain requirements to be played properly. And Yaki discovered those rules. He He's done a lot of research, not only by his own practice, by, but also by researching traditional musics mainly during the 60s, or even when he was recording with Can, the German quote-unquote rock band that was popular and they're working in the, to be precise, from 69 to 79. During that period, he you could hear this on Can records that there's something going on which was not so much connected to Western rock music. So what Yaki discovered was that there's a nature of rhythms that could be heard in traditional musics mainly. There's a certain method that was fundamentally different from what, let's say, rock or jazz drummers were doing by that time. If you listen to Elvin Jones on John Coltrane's records in the late 50s to the mid-60s, for instance, you would hear the exact opposite, that the f structure, that the groove would be destroyed by <laughs> the volition of the musician, by, by expressing themselves. So you mean in some way that those records were going against these laws? Is that what you mean? Do I understand you correctly? Yeah, the... The game's rules were abandoned in favor of a newly discovered freedom. And this is a process that is still continuing to this date. And it's one of the um, dominating paradigms, I think, in, in Western music, in jazz and pop music, that people think the main aim is to express themselves. Whereas how yucky and I see it, to play with those rhythms, they require a restriction rather than destroying the sound barriers of, of a genre or going beyond the boundaries or whatever. You mentioned that you feel like this tendency is still ongoing in Western music. In what locations or in what kinds of music or in what ways do you see this tendency to abandon the rules in search of some kind of freedom manifest? These days. Yeah, I was convinced. <laughs> I knew we would touch that topic. Therefore, <laughs> okay, I, good. I brought the most actual example for this freedom fighting process. I mean, there are so many examples, but this one is quite telling. It's the Transmediale 2018 theme um, called Turmoil. And it did another theme from the years before discontinuity or look at the unsound festivals branding unsound or quite recently they've had a festival going on at the Haus der Kultur in der Welt in Berlin called No Music. There's a strong emphasis on on freedom. Yeah? You have to abandon the rules of, of music as if there was an authority that we have to fight to free ourselves. That's a paranoid hallucination. Music offers you possibilities. It's, I see it as a gift, and my intention is to understand the rules, to be able to play music properly, 
instead of abandoning those potentials. So if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, are you saying that this kind of freedom fighting, as you called it, this struggle for freedom in music is kind of an expression of a Western idea of individualism and the search for complete individual freedom as being the sort of holy grail of, of culture or of society. Is that what you're saying? So, Yeah. I don't know if you've seen Adam Curtis' Hypernormalization, the documentary that was released, I think, in 2016 by the BBC iPlayer. And he was also pointing out that in the 60s, the idea of this individualism was propagated by the hippie movement, so to speak, by the dropouts. So uh, let me quote Adam Curtis. One of the most giant shifts in recent history that started in the late 60s, really took off in the 70s, was the rise of a powerful individualism, a feeling throughout Western society that began in America but came to Europe very quickly, that I as an individual, are the most important thing, that I feel what I want is the most truthful and authentic right thing, and the idea that you should be told what to do by politicians, by those in power, is wrong, inauthentic, and you should be true to yourself, and it rose up. It was, a, it was good in many ways. It liberated people and stopped us being told what to do by old corrupt elites, but It had a very strange effect on politics because when you run a political party, you have to get people together, unite for a single goal. But when you've got a society with millions of individuals who all have their own desires, their own truths, their own idea of what is true, then it is very difficult to get a collective movement together. And the real effect, not just on politics, was on the radical left. Because if you look at the 60s, both in US and Europe, it was called the New Left. It came out of the civil rights movement and they gave themselves up to a movement, gave up years to struggle to change the world and they did. If you then get individualism rising up, what you don't want to do is give yourself up for years to a movement which you subsume yourself into. You want to express yourself. Yeah, he references Patti Smith as one of those figures who went into art instead of engaging in the collective free jazz came about by that time and in the 60s it was already finished i mean it was so radical the freedom that was achieved in such in such a short time span can't be topped really i always tell people when they are making noise improvised noise music then to me it sounds like free jazz and it's something not so radical as most proponents think. It's you, you can't smash any more sound barriers today. So to me, the most radical thing to do is not express yourself, to, to learn properly the rules of the music, the rules of the rhythms, and which is hard anyway. I mean, you're doomed to fail. Who's able to play super precise? I mean, the computer can, but humans can only fail. There's a lot to it. So I think that's a more interesting challenge to me to end up with something, some kind of meaningful music instead of claiming to set me free. I mean, this has been done 60 years ago. 
And um, it's, it's just, it's almost satirical to try that. So looping back to um, this certain rhetorical tendency that you mentioned in experimental music at the moment, in the transmediala um, theme, turmoil and things like this, do you think they're sort of, uh, they found the wrong answer to the question, as it were, you know, in a world of political turmoil, the response shouldn't be in some way to throw rules away or to discard orthodoxies, but should be to, to go in the other direction and look for some common aesthetic framework or a set of rules that people can agree on? Or How, how would you see, a, um, for instance, a transmediala theme that you could really get behind, that you really agreed with? How would that look? Good question. I mean, the current transmediala theme is uneasy times demand uneasy music that cancels out our pains with pain, like Einstürzen Neubauten. Uh, their claim in the 80s was here with pain. And I mean, I don't know if that's technically true, that if you have a face inversion when, when you have pain or when you're depressed and listen to pain, that this would cancel out or help you overcome your depression. Maybe... I mean, I can't argue with that. But what I can argue with is uneasy times demand uneasy music. But why is making noise uneasy? To me, that's the most easiest way to make music is just to destroy something or to to produce dissonance. So all the other themes that I've mentioned like unsound discontinuity no music they all have a quest for dissonance so well, I, I i don't think that's really so challenging to me more challenging is to get things straight to sound properly to to create a harmony but this is not very popular amongst uh, those promoters i don't think when you talk about this idea that destruction in music is not interesting that shredding the rule book is somehow not doesn't to you seem aesthetically interesting or productive people might then assume that what you're saying is we should stick to a very conventional aesthetic idea as learnt or as propagated in by western okay, tradition you. western musical tradition i understand the question um could you talk about the differences between that western musical tradition mm. and what the, the kinds of traditional yeah. rules that, that you yeah. consider important so the opposition is definitely not the self-expressing individual on one side and the classical orchestra on the other side that is playing according to sheets, to the text in front of them. That's not the opposition because there's nothing conventional about applying the natural laws of the music because they're not going to change. They are unimpeachable. They, it's just like the laws of gravity, for instance. If you play the drum, unless you walk in space, you would have to follow the laws of gravity. This is a, a restriction, if you like, a limitation. That limitation does, is not reflected in programming rhythms so much. So that's why a lot of the ideas that come from natural, from the natural rhythm concept, if you like, uh, do not trans <laughs> do not translate very well into how people program rhythm when they don't have a practice when they don't have a musical background 
So when we want to understand tourism, we have to look at the source. <laughs> the source is not tourism. It's the, the motion, what you do. And of course, the machine doesn't have that motion. You just set some impulses on a sequence wherever you like and the machine doesn't care if it's wrong or right so a proper groove isn't easily found for someone who has no practice but for someone who practices a long time it's immediately apparent where the problems lie with programming beats so by practice you mean physical drumming physical drumming yeah so unfortunately when drummers learn by sheets it's like programming a sequence on a, on, on, a, on a computer or a rhythm machine. It's equally handicapped because the practice is missing. I mean, you could notate anything on a sheet and a good drummer will be able to play anything. There's nothing natural about it. But this is not how you can engender grooves. I mean, this is nothing you could dance to. If you dance, you don't aim to land on a particular spot. The dance is always about dancing. <laughs> and this is the same with rhythm. You don't do this to achieve a certain cluster of impulses. You do this to have groove, something to do. It's like an energy device that needs to move somehow. So what you do is you apply minimal force to it and you find the right pathway the energy wants to flow. And depending on the certain rhythm, it would require the drummer to play in a certain way, meaning you use your left and your right hand properly to create a waveform, if you like, a swing between both that can be maintained over a long period of time easily because if it wasn't easy if it wasn't natural either so the most natural the easiest way to do it is the most appropriate that allows the drummer to apply the least or to put the least effort only minimal force into maintaining the rhythm so to find the the right way of playing a rhythm is most crucial so often when you see rock drummers, they're using both the, their left and right hand and they're using pedals as well. It's very difficult to do that properly. Therefore, hand drummers are always more advantaged in comparison. And that's also one of the reasons why rock and jazz drummers don't understand the difference so much. And you've talked about rhythm. Does it also apply to pitch? So do you think there is the same... There are similar natural laws at work. Certain pitches, certain harmonies do just sound objectively good and others not. Is that the way that you see it? Although, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> it's just equivalent to rhythm, if you like. You could say rhythm is the infra sound of the harmony. So on the x-axis, so on the horizontal axis, we have the rhythm. On the vertical axis, we have the the frequencies but the rhythm is just a low frequency in fact if you speed up the frequency you you reach up into a higher scale and it's becoming tonal or the other way around if you pitch down and pitch down 
you will eventually end up with having impulses instead of a tone. But these impulses will be metronomic if it's a monophone sound. But when, when you have a chord, which is a proportion between two or more tones, then when those are in harmony, you will also get a, a rhythm out of that. There's a law of frequencies as well as rhythms, a set of natural laws, of which one is the octave, the doubling of the frequency, and a variety of overtones which is, is attached to it. When you're making music, how do these ideas that we've been discussing feed into that process? So when you're thinking about uh, coming up with a rhythm, or when you're thinking about harmony in a track, the use of chords and melody, are you very consciously um, referring to certain rules or restrictions that you've set yourself? Or are you working intuitively with what simply feels good and that tends to follow these laws anyway? When it is right, it also feels good. <laughs> but it's a process which can last for quite long until the proper groove has been found. We're trying to find the appropriate, most casual way of playing it. This comes first. So at the core of the music is the rhythmic motion pattern that will allow me to create the whole piece from this tiny cell of motion. Because any other impulse, be it percussive or be it tonal, will have to succumb to this rhythm rule, which is a harmonic rule, if you like. But then, if everything was totally in order, then that could be quite boring too. So, to me, it's... I mean, I want to go into unknown territory as well. If I choose to work on a rhythm number that I haven't used before, which is most exciting to me, to discover a new rhythm, a new groove, then I'm, I'm, I'm not... I don't want to nail it down and then restrict it to that pattern. But what I'm doing is to allow me to be just on the edge of, let's say, on the edge between chaos and order. So that with a tiny tilt to the left or the right, everything could fall apart. So in, in many interviews, Yaki referred making music to a football game and I, I like the idea to compare it to a, a game if you play a game with somebody else or in a team you could only play the game properly when you have a set of rules and um, there's many ways to play a game if, if it's only one game then you certainly want to win but if you if you see the game more like an aesthetic effort to produce, let's say, a beautiful interplay, something interesting for the audience to, to hear or to watch, then you might be thinking of passing the ball onto somebody and scoring a goal is something similar like sending a signal out to, to your neighboring musician and making some, some space for him to play some more... <laughs> It's a melody, and then this melody would be accompanied by the appropriate signal. So you could communicate between each other. 
while playing that game only on the basis of some of a set of rules because what you do is not rehearsed that's what proper music making is about you don't want to just play something that was programmed at an earlier stage so to me a concert which was would only present some pre-programmed tracks that would be played a hundred or five hundred times that's not what I mean you could say that's a game but this game has finished before it started you know that's not there's no challenge it's a show I, I wouldn't even say concert that's those kinds of shows and who would want to watch a football game that was set up like this and in fact that's why so many people everywhere love watching football games because it's uncorrupted entertainment and why is watching the news or talk shows so or like these to to, to um, stay with with sports watching these wrestling shows so disappointing in comparison so i don't mind using the term rules at all to me that they don't have any negative connotation electricity or gravity this is something to discover it's not an authority that we as a musician have to oppose to or overcome i don't want to overcome my nature i want to overcome let's say the cultural implications maybe of music making which is um, the essentialist point of view that for instance um, music is always attached to a territory like sports is attached to a territory like the german team opposes the french team for instance or there was one interesting remarkable incident quite recently when the russian sports team was required to stay away from the korean olympics because of the doping issue but then they claimed that not all of the russian sports people were accused of being doped so they were offered to appear without a nation attached to them so this is was quite radical so i thought what would have happened there's two possibilities they russian the russian sports people would have gone without presenting the russian nation or they refused and of course they refused because it was their solidarity with their fellow sportsmen but then it would have been amazing if let's say everybody else this would have been a real great chance everybody else would have said wow none of us is appearing in korea without a nation sticker attached to our sports presentation that would have been something else yeah so um your label is called non-place do you see yourself and your music in some way as a a russian athlete appearing without a flag you know do you see it as a music that maybe has come from a certain geographical location but which isn't affiliated with any place which in some way is outside of these territorial it's easier said than done because of course everybody has got cultural imprints upon birth and before already 
and those imprints are not going away and they allow us to negotiate our identity in in, in our community this is essential i mean everybody has prejudices and they are based on those cultural imprints so i'm i'm not saying we can ignore those but what non place tries to represent is the fact that music is traveling anyway and music maybe has something else in it that is not determined by cultural imprints and one of the axioms of a non-place music is that it doesn't relate to a territory it's the opposite music travels that's the nature of it so whenever somebody hears a piece of music and um, let's say likes it a musician would appropriate the technique or, or the sound and would carry it on that's something that automatically travels anywhere especially in a time when we have all recorded history at our disposal at any time so especially these days we can realize how stupid it is to make up those identities which i would like to refer to as group identities because i'm interested in new music that's <laughs> that's what I, what I research I like to find interesting music but it's never accommodated by any genre so when I stand in a record shop I'm quite lost because all of the genres represent group identities but the interesting stuff is to me always happening in between those genres um, it's interesting that when you were talking just then about the process by which a musician might come across an idea and in some way replicate it in their work and in that way that music travels across geographical borders. Um, you use this word appropriate. I don't know if you're aware, that, but in the last few years there have been a lot of discussions um, globally about this idea of cultural appropriation, discussions about when it is or is not okay to, to borrow an idea or to take an idea from another what, culture. And I wondered if you had thoughts about this yeah. debate because obviously that in some sense could be seen to be supporting the idea of fixed group identities. You know, these, these ideas belong to this group. Um, you're, you belong to a different group and you're therefore not allowed to take those ideas. Yeah, but isn't this racism? If I, if I would follow that logic, it's predicated on the idea that group identity is paramount. That means... We are not negotiating art on the level of the individual, but on the background of cultural imprints. But the thing is, we shouldn't mix up culture and art. We have to realize that art and science belong together, in that an artist and a scientist have to stand up claiming that what they do is universally right. If it wasn't so, then what's the value in science? If, if let's say, a Chinese scientist would come up and say, well, this is how physics work in China, but it doesn't work here. Like in Germany, we have a different science. That doesn't make sense. And with the artistic utterances, it's the same 
viewpoint in a way because when you stand up as a musician or a painter for instance whatever you utter into the public has to be interesting otherwise why bother so an artist is in the strange in the challenging position not to have any cultural institution behind him it's a sign of independency because what he what an artist negotiates negotiates is his own finding it's not a collective finding therefore it is not a cultural finding and um, if you look into the science world you have similar conditions which are individual observations that define the, the history of science and to think that it could be a collective effort it's just not the case since 100 years roughly we don't have any we, we didn't come across any major scientific revolutions maybe because a lot of scientific research is done in teamwork as opposed to individual research um, going back to this idea of cultural borrowing across um, geographical or cultural boundaries, this idea of cultural appropriation. So you're saying that the endeavor of an artist is in some way universal or aspires to be universal, and so attaching it to certain group identities, cultural groups, is in some way does a disservice to the art. Is, am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. That's what I mean. Um, maybe I wasn't clear enough. No, I, th I think you were. Um, but, I, but I just wanted to, to sort of add to that. Whilst that perhaps is true in the abstract, do you think that there are other dynamics that perhaps come into play? So th the reason why I'm saying this is because um, a, one thing that you said in another interview stuck in my mind, which is that Western musical culture is a kind of soft imperialism. It's like an exercise of imperial power. It's imposing a certain set of cultural norms across the world, certain chord progressions, certain kinds of rhythms. And I wondered if you thought that this kind of borrowing from a Western uh, musician of music from other places could also in some instances be an exercise of a, a kind of soft imperial power. You mean some kind of exploitation? Sure. Yeah, well, the question is, what do you do with that? If you sampled someone, let's say, a gamelan orchestra, you, well, how far would you go with that? I always say, why reissue all the records from the 70s out of Africa, for instance? Why put the effort into uploading some rare tape to the internet, to the world public? Was it in the... In the, is it in the purpose of the originators to be exposed to such an enormous public forever? So yeah, this is, it could be termed exploitation, but what I think is not accommodated under exploitation is when you make music with that yourself, make your own stuff, I think, and appropriate the the musical method because the musical method <laughs> is based on those rules and they are the same everywhere for instance that's why i say the, the universal lies in the local which means there are commonalities between local groups of musicians in the way they produce the music in their methods for instance if you look at the way people 
play percussion. The rhythms they come up with are the same often in, in very disparate parts of the world. There are commonalities, not in sound, but in the structure. Not necessarily in the tunings too much, but even there you could you could say at least the, the octave and basic harmonies are common everywhere, even between groups who have never ever um, heard of, of each other. So that's not exploitation, that's proper use of, uh, of natural laws of music, if you like. But I mean the devil is in the details, because of course when you sample somebody else's music, then that's clearly some form of exploitation in the West and in the East. It's never, never going to change. And it's a very, it's very lame. Some musicians say everything's been composed anyway, so why bother? You can't come up with anything new. But I don't, I don't really buy that. It's, I think, an excuse to do, to, to apply sampling and finally regurgitate the, the same soup over and over again. When you last spoke to Resident Advisor, when you spoke to Will Lynch, um, one thing you said was that um, electronic music offers freedom, the freedom to break free of musical idioms because it allows you to, I guess, transcend the familiar sounds and familiar musical modes of certain physical instruments. Um, but I wondered when you look at electronic music now what do you think the state of that freedom is do you see that freedom being exercised in contemporary electronic music or not and why might that be well i think you're right there's a promise with electronic music and the promise is it could be something new but often it is referring to new sound rather than new music which is form and sound to me, or if you say, if, if you like form and color. The color to me seems quite arbitrary. So at the core, there is a form, something that drives it, the proportions of the rhythm or the harmonies and how it's set, set or played out in time. And it could easily be something acoustic or electronic. Just imagine a drummer on an acoustic set of drums playing the same groove but while he's playing that groove you would replace the acoustic set of drums by an electronic set of drums and he would play the same groove but the sound would immediately drastic, drastically change why would the music the music hasn't changed the drummer is continuing playing executing the same kind of groove so it didn't change only the sound changed why would the music from then on be termed electronic when it was acoustic before i don't really get it so we maybe make the mistake when we analyze electronic music that we put the focus on on our hallucination of electronic music, which is maybe not very sharp. So we would need to be more precise. I think electronic music, techno music, or what kind of music? Well, it would be interesting to talk about techno music in particular, because I understand that that was something that you had a certain enthusiasm for earlier on in its history. 
and perhaps have lost that enthusiasm over the years. So have you seen a, a kind of a, a gradual shrinking of that idea of possibility or freedom in that kind of music, in, in dance music, in techno music? I don't expect everybody to puzzle anything out or reach, aim at the best or at the most challenging, not at all. Because even though on a resident advisor page, for instance, thousands of people are considered artists. I don't see so many artists amongst the people. I see yeah, designers, public servants like DJs, record selectors. These are the types of people amongst the term artists. So I have a different approach to music in general, but I don't expect everybody else to have the same approach. I investigate a lot of time to, to practice and to go into unknown territory and come up with something new because that's, to me, what creativity is about. If it wasn't something new, then what's creative about it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't see it. So this can only be managed by acknowledging what's been done already. So if I look back into the past, I have to see, I mean, there's just probably a tiny spectrum left to do, but this is exactly what I'm interested in. It's, 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 incre it's increasingly challenging to do that. Of course, if I listen to most functional music, like techno music, uh, you can hardly find it. So that's a bit disappointing to me, but maybe that's exactly what uh, pro other producers want. So um, I, I can't measure it <laughs> with my own demands. But uh, what I'm saying is I claim that an artistic position is not painting the same picture 500 times. 